Well, good morning. I'm uh, Nathan Johnson, still kind of new here, um, and I'm very honored and blessed to be able to preach the word to you this morning. Chris already reminded me that I should have worn a bow tie, and I swear I was planning on it because the first time I visited Harp a couple months ago, I saw a lot of people wearing bow ties, and I got really excited. These people are Southern people. But um, <clears throat> then I went ahead and wore this accidentally. So um, hopefully they'll let me preach here again. <laughs> uh, please turn to 1 Samuel 28. Um, this is a strange passage um, that I'm very excited to preach this morning. Um, I wanted to start by reflecting on something that I think Lee had mentioned a couple weeks ago. Um, about a month or two ago, I don't know if you're aware, but a pretty prominent uh, Reformed evangelical pastor, Joshua Harris, um, publicly, which is what everyone does these days, apparently, um, he publicly announced that he was leaving the faith, leaving the church. Um, two weeks before, he had publicly announced that he was divorcing his wife, which was already um, significant because he had written a book on dating and then he had written a book on marriage, um, but no one expected that he would end up divorcing the Lord as well. Um, but this is very significant. He was an a important pastor in a very large Reformed church, a Sovereign Grace church, and um, this hit a lot of people very hard. And for me, it's been interesting reflecting on it for the last month and a half because I think we all need to think about the reality of if that could happen to somebody like him, there but for the grace of God go we. Um, this is somebody who not only has been in church his whole life, but he knows the Word of God, he's been to seminary, he's been a pastor, um, shepherding God's flock for many years, and now he is leaving. Uh, and now he says that he does not believe it anymore. And, he's, um, and he said some pretty sobering things in his um, post on Instagram when he was explaining why he was leaving the faith, he talked about how for many years he's spent repenting, um, repenting of his books, repenting of the hurtful things he's said to people um, about marriage and about gender roles, and, um, and then he says that he's also now repenting of, in his, uh, the way he's spoken to LGBTQ people about um, their lifestyles as well. But the one thing he didn't mention was repenting to God. Um, it seems like he doesn't think that he needs to repent to God, even though he's got many of other people he needs to repent to. And that kind of leads us into the sermon for today, because the sermon, or this passage, is about Saul, the king of Israel, the shepherd of God's people, who for 40 years has been steeped in the word of God. He's had Samuel with him as God's prophet, always speaking the truth and the law to him. And it's been Saul's job to represent what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Yahweh. Who are the people to turn to and look to if it's not Saul? But here we see Saul's final apostasy. Here we see Saul breaking away from the faith, divorcing the Lord. And we need to ask the question, um, what does that have to speak to us? Could that also be us? So turn to 1 Samuel 28. 
Uh, we're starting in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him, and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. Then Saul saw the army of the Philistines, and he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments, and he went, he and two of the men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the, cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Well, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a God coming out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? She said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. And he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Okay, so as a kid, this was one of my favorite Old Testament passages because we get dead people who've been brought back to life. Um, that's something that even Genie and Aladdin said that he wasn't going to be able to do. Um, he said he doesn't bring back dead people because it's not a pretty sight. Well, what we get here is um, something that, while it's not gruesome, it's not a pretty sight for Saul because what the dead person Samuel has to say is not a word that Saul wants to hear. Um, but one thing that I've noticed about strange passages in the Old Testament is that sometimes we can lock into the really bizarre parts and we can miss the larger point. 
Here, one of the things that I think the author is doing is he's trying to say, you think that's weird? A dead person being brought back to life? Well, it's even weirder. It's even more upside down for the king of Israel to leave his God and to consult the devil to know what God has to say to him. That's the really bizarre part of this text. That's the really upside down part. And so what I want us to do is I want us to reflect a little bit um, as we're going through and we're looking at Saul's final apostasy. In what ways is this backwards? In what ways is this upside down? And it's a lot more than just a dead person being brought back to life for a quick time. Though that's very interesting too. Okay, so let's start in verse 3. <laughs> We're told in verse 3 that Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Now this is interesting, because we already know this. This is something that we, two weeks ago, we had talked about. Samuel is dead. So we have to ask the question, why is the author bringing it back up? Okay, scripture doesn't repeat things just for the sake of it. There's a reason for it. And further, we have to ask the question, why are people so upset about it? I mean, it's one thing for, you know, Samuel's friends to be sad. Um, you know, maybe, maybe his co-workers, uh, the other prophets that he had taught. But it says, all Israel mourned for him. So we have to ask that question, why is all Israel so distraught that Samuel has died? And I think the reason for that is if we turn to 1 Samuel 12, this is a little reminder of something that, oh, maybe half a year ago, um, we studied. This takes place when Samuel is confronted by the people of Israel that they want a king. Okay, Samuel has been their judge and their prophet, and they say, Samuel, we don't want you, we want a king like all the other nations. And God tells Samuel, let them have it. Give them what they've asked for. And then the people realize the great wickedness of this request. And in verse 19, this is what the people say to Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 12, verse 19. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Okay, Samuel, for them, is the one who prays for them. He's the one who teaches them. He is the one who stands between God and them and ensures that God will be merciful and faithful to them. 
This is who Samuel is. The name Samuel means God hears. Okay, God hears. So whenever you see L in a name in the Old Testament, L is referring to God. Um, and the word Shema is to hear. And you might be familiar with that, the, the um, Jewish Shema, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay. So God hears through the person of Samuel. When Samuel prays, God hears. And now, initially, the reason why Samuel was actually named Samuel was because his mom had been praying for many, many years for a child, and God finally heard her prayer and gave her Samuel. And now Samuel is like that to the people of Israel. He prays for them, and God hears. But now Samuel is dead, and all they have is Saul. Now, the name Saul means asked for, asked for. Because they asked for a king, and they got what they asked for. They got Saul, a king just like them, an idolater, a coward, and somebody who was much more interested in being his own king than he was in letting God be king. So you've got a situation Israel finds itself in. The one who prays to God and God hears is dead. And all we have left is the guy we asked for. And that's not good for anybody. So Samuel's dead. He's been buried. And the verse turns our attention to Saul. And it says something very interesting. It says, And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Now this seems like a very good thing. Mediums and necromancers are not supposed to be in the land. Um, they are servants of the devil. And don't be fooled, these people are real, and they're real even today. And they have no place in God's kingdom. And in, uh, in, in the law, it actually says that one of the king's responsibilities is to kick these people out. So this is interesting. So Saul's died, but, or Samuel's died, but it seems like Saul is actually doing something good. He's kicked all of the mediums and necromancers out of the land. It's creating for us a contrast contrast between prophets like Samuel, whom God hears in God, and mediums, Satan's prophets, who God does not hear and who do not speak for God. Two ways. God's way, the prophets, Satan's way, the mediums. Two kings, God, Satan. Now, initially, it seems like Saul has done something good. He's put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. But as we read, there's one left. And we'll get to that in a second. So the Philistines have assembled and encamped at Shunem. Okay, this seems to be kind of a normal situation for Saul. He fights the Philistines all the time. But something's a little bit different. For the first time, Saul is fighting the Philistines without who? Without Samuel. For the first time, Saul needs to inquire of the Lord without the person who God hears. And so he's very afraid. Because here's the thing, Saul knows. Saul already knows that he has not been on God's side. And so he knows that he probably can't expect God to be on his side. But he's got really nowhere to turn. And so, he tries to inquire 
like a prophet would. It says, Saul, this is verse 6, Saul inquired of the Lord himself, not through a prophet, but he inquired of the Lord himself. But the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams. Okay, dreams would be the direct way that God would answer somebody. But can Saul expect God to directly answer him when he's been directly disobeying God for 40 years? No. God does not answer him directly through dreams. So then he turns to Urim, which is a method that the priests use. So the, the high priest has a robe, and on it has two stones, Urim and Thummim. And they use this as a way to determine God's will. So it's sort of like a dice. Um, you cast it, yay or nay, and whichever one comes up, that tells you what God is trying to say. Well, to him through the priests, through the Urim either. And can Saul be surprised? What did he do to the priests of Nob just a few chapters ago? You remember? He killed them all. Can he expect God to speak to him through the, pro to the, through the priests after he's killed God's priests? No. Something's backwards here. Something's a little bit upside down in Saul's world. So then he inquires by the prophets. There are other prophets in Israel. Samuel's not the only one. But God doesn't speak through the prophets either. And this is significant. Can Saul expect God to speak to him through the prophets when he's been ignoring the prophets for 40 years? No. The scary reality is that there is a time when God stops speaking. And that, that is far more terrifying than the army of the Philistines. God is silent. God does not answer him. So now Saul's at a crossroads. Because here's the thing. When God is silent, that says a lot, right? This should communicate something to him. And maybe he needs to pause, and maybe he needs to listen. Maybe he needs to repent. What we're told in um, 1 Chronicles, you don't have to turn there, it's just a short passage, but we're told in 1 Chronicles that in verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 13, it said, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Now, we're just told that he did, right? He asked for a dream. He went to the priests. He asked the prophets. This seems like he's inquiring of the Lord. But Scripture says he did not inquire of the Lord. And that tells us something. There's a way to pray when you don't actually want to know the answer. There's a way to talk to God where you don't really want to listen. Saul's lips are inquiring of the Lord, but his heart is far from him. And this is a dangerous place to be because he can be deceived into thinking that he's actually seeking God when all he's doing is he's seeking his own will and only seeking what he wants to hear. 
So even though he technically inquires of the Lord, he doesn't really inquire of the Lord. His heart is far astray. What he should have done at this point was stop and truly reflected on the sins of the last 40 years and truly repented. But instead, verse 7, Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. If God's not going to get me what I want, then I'll turn to Satan. If seeking God's counsel by lawful means isn't going to get me what I want, then I will break the law. This reveals the state of Saul's heart. The thing is, Saul does not want God to be king of his life. Saul wants to be his own king. And Saul has always wanted to be his own king. Back, way back, I think it's in verse, or, uh, chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, God tells Saul a direct order. When you fight the Amalekites, I want you to wipe them all out. And that includes their king. And what does Saul do? He doesn't. He keeps the king alive. And God says, I want you to slaughter all the animals. And what does Saul do? He keeps them alive. And then he makes excuses. And then when Samuel comes and says, you have disobeyed the direct order of God in front of all Israel. You are supposed to be the shepherd of God's people. You're supposed to show them what it looks like to listen to God. You have not listened to God. And so the kingdom is going to be stripped from you. And all that Saul can say is, honor me before the people. Don't let them know. Let me have a big parade. And he sets up this altar to celebrate his victory. He only cares about his own kingdom. Later, when he finds out that David's going to be the new king of Israel, does he abdicate the throne and give it to the one God has chosen? No. What does he do? He tries to kill him over and over and over again. And every time God gives Saul another chance, every time David could have killed him and David didn't, God is pursuing Saul and he's saying, repent, repent. You are your own king. I need to be your king. Until you can give up your own autonomy, until you can give up your own self-rule, until you can submit to my lordship as the king of your life, until you can do that, you are far from me. But he gives him three chances to repent. And every time Saul just holds on tighter to his kingship. Saul wants what he wants. He doesn't want what the Lord wants. Here's what's so twisted, is that this whole time, Saul is willing to use the things of the Lord to try to bring about his own plans and his own will. And it's only when all of those things are exhausted, when all the things of the Lord don't work for him, now he turns to this medium now he turns to outright sin. And he says, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go inquire of her. 
And his servant said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. Okay, so apparently he hadn't put out all the mediums and necromancers from the land. He would put out some of them, but not all of them. And apparently he already kind of knew because he asked for one. Right? Isn't this symbolic of what he's doing in his own heart? And what we often do in our own hearts, we put away some of our sin, but we want to keep a little bit around. And we want to keep some, some things that we can go back to if God isn't really doing what we want him to do. Just little things hidden away, like a medium, just, just in case. Just in case God doesn't come through. Just in case God isn't saying what we want him to say. Just in case circumstances aren't quite working out the way we want them to. We've got somewhere else to turn. See, the thing is, if you don't put out all the mediums and necromancers from the land, it doesn't matter if you've put out 9 out of 10. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. As long as one's there that you can always go to when God's not doing what you want, it shows that you want to be on the throne of your heart, not the Lord. That's what's happening with Saul. So he goes to this medium. Now, if you think that's strange and backwards, it gets weirder. He goes to the medium, and he says, hey, are you a medium? I've got somebody I want you to raise for the dead for me. And she knows the law better than Saul does. She says, wait a second, we're not supposed to do this. This is against the law. Saul has a medium. Saul has an idolater. Saul has a Satan worshiper. Need to remind him about what God's law is. The law that, of course, he's supposed to be upholding. And then, in verse 10, it gets even stranger. It says, But Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He's invoking the name of God to tell her that he's not going to do what God has commanded him to do, which is drive out all the mediums from the land. As Yahweh lives, I won't obey Yahweh. You can trust me, because I've sworn by the name of the king who I don't obey. This is backwards. This is upside down. This this is a greater, stranger, more bizarre thing than having a dead person come back to life. He has, for 40 years, he has had the direct word of God spoken to him by Samuel. He has had the Holy Spirit anointing in him indwelling in him. He has been supernaturally preserved by God time and time again. And now he's so desperate to get what he wants that he goes to a medium 
And he invokes God's name to promise to her that he's not going to do what God has told him to do. This is backwards. This is the twisted heart of a sinner. So she brings up, and this is what it gets even stranger. So she says, okay, well then who do you want? And he says, well, I want Samuel. I want the guy who for 40 years God's listened to, because apparently he doesn't listen to me, so I want him. But of course, he's bringing up the very guy who's told him, look, God's rejected you. The kingdom of, God, the kingdom of Israel has been torn from you. He's bringing up the guy who's always given him bad news. And he's saying, well, if God doesn't listen to me, maybe, and God doesn't speak to me, then maybe God will listen to Samuel and speak to me through Samuel. Why does he think he's going to get anything different than what he's already got? This is futile. This is silly. And he's turning to Satan to help him do it. This is the backwardness of apostasy. And of course, it gets really strange because Samuel actually does come up. Now, there have been a lot of, um, a lot of people speculated about this. Some people say, well, that's not actually Samuel. That's a demon who has kind of portrayed himself like Samuel. I don't buy that. This seems to be Samuel. Saul thinks it's Samuel, and Samuel invokes the name of the Lord, I think, four times here. And he actually tells him exactly what God says. I don't think this is a demon who's made himself look like Samuel. I think this is God saying, All right, Saul, your name means asked for. I'll give you what you've asked for. I'll give you a word from Samuel. But you're not going to like it. But I'll give you what you've asked for. In fact, throughout this whole passage, Saul gets what he's asked for. He asks for a medium, he gets it. He asks the medium to give him Samuel, he gets it. Then he asks Samuel to give him a prophetic word, he gets it. Woe to us when God starts giving us what we want. When God starts actually giving us what we've asked for. Often, once that happens, it's the beginning of the end. Romans 1 says that those who know God and reject him, God gives them over to the desires of their heart. He gives them over to their sin. He gives them what they've asked for. Here's what's so sad. Saul's chief desire is that he can be on the throne of his own heart. But when you're your own king, there's nobody left to appeal to, right? There's nobody higher than you are. God gives Saul that as well. God says, okay, you want to be king? I'll let you be king. But that means that you can't expect me to protect you, to speak to you, to help you in any way. You want to be king? You don't want me to be king? Fine. You can be king. You can get what you've asked for. And we see the situation, the desperate situation that Saul has put himself in as king of his own heart. So he brings up Samuel, 
And Samuel says, well, first Saul tells him straight up in uh, verse 15. I'm in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel says, well, why do you ask me? Since the Lord has already turned away from you and become your enemy. Now, here's the thing. If God is not our king, God is our enemy. Only two options, and we don't like that. We would prefer a situation where we get to be on the throne of our own heart, but God can be this kind of commodity that we can go to at certain times to help us get what we want, but we don't really want him to be against us. We don't want him to be our enemy because we know God's more powerful than us, and if God's our enemy, then really bad things can happen. So we want God to kind of be neutral or kind of be an ally who will help us at certain times, as long as he'll let us be on the throne of our own heart. This is what Saul has been doing for 40 years. He goes to God and asks God for help, but the moment that God tells him something he doesn't want to hear, he, eh, I'm just going to ignore that and go my own way. I want to keep God kind of around, because at some point God's going to come in handy. That's what we want. That's what we want. But what Samuel says here is, look, if God is not on the throne of your heart, then God is at war with your heart. And God will win. You cannot serve two masters. And if you want to be your own master, that means God is your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And as we read in the first Chronicles passage, it also says that the Lord did this to him because he sought out a medium instead of the Lord. Now, I want us to focus in on something real quick. In verse 18, it says, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Well, um, I don't like pointing this out much because 99% of the time, our English translations very much capture exactly what Scripture in the original language has said. But in this case, the word here for obey is not the word obey. It's the word shema, which, as we know, means what? Here. And that's kind of an important thing because this whole passage starts with Samuel, the man that God hears, has died. And now Samuel comes back and he says, the reason why God isn't hearing your prayers is because you have not heard God's voice. You think God will listen to you when you don't listen to God? Because you did not hear the voice of the Lord. God has not heard your prayers. God has rejected you. Now, what's so sad about this is this is not simply Saul's final apostasy. But it also marks the judgment that he receives, his sons receive, and Israel receives because of his apostasy. They suffer because he has not heard the voice of the Lord. This is why, in verse 3, they're mourning for Samuel. 
is because they know where this is going. And they know that with Samuel gone and Saul as our hope and our shepherd, we all suffer. This is the point. Who is our king? If we are our own kings, we all suffer. If Christ is our king, and if we hear the voice of the Lord and submit to Christ's lordship, like Samuel, then there's hope. So who is our king? And who are we listening to? Now, the story ends in also a bizarre way. It's kind of upside down. Saul is obviously afraid. But the woman comes in and says, well, I think you need something to eat. And of course, he's probably thinking, what does it matter? I'm going to die tomorrow. But he was weak, probably because he had been fasting all day in preparation for the seance that they were going to do. And uh, she presses him, and she says, Look, I have obeyed you. I've heard you. Now hear me. You need to eat. The only person in this story who actually obeys her king is a medium. (laughs) Now that's backwards. She actually, this whole time, has been a a picture, a, a great example of obeying one's king. Of course, She's obeying Saul, and Saul is telling her to do a lot of unlawful things. But maybe Saul should have taken some notes from the witch about what it means to actually obey your king. Look, I've obeyed you. I put my life in my hands to obey you. Saul was never willing to put his life in his hands to obey God. It's so backwards. The medium is the one who's the example of what it means to obey and to hear the king. Now hear me. Eat this. Now notice this. This is the final part of the story. She makes him a meal. A fattened calf and unleavened bread. This makes me think of another meal in the Old Testament. Think of another meal with meat and unleavened bread. Passover. This is a very backwards, upside-down Passover meal. We've got unleavened bread. We've got a fattened calf, not quite a lamb. And it's served by a priest of Satan to a king who's rejected God's lordship. It's an upside-down, backwards Passover meal. And it's the last meal he's going to have before he dies. And feels the judgment of God. So this is a sobering passage. It's a strange passage, and it's very sobering. And it's one that I don't... I, I hesitated when I realized that I was going to have to preach this, because it's not one that makes us feel very happy. Particularly when we realize that we're more often like Saul than we want to admit. At least I am. How often do we turn the things of God, prayer, fellowship with believers, church, service in the church, and we turn all of those things towards our own ends, and then the moment that God requires of us something that we don't want, the moment that God says something we don't want to hear, 
We turn to sin. But we think because we're part of the community of faith and because we go to church and because we serve and because we pray that everything's okay. But the real question is, are we only using the things of God in service for our throne and our kingdom? And the only way we can really know that is when we get to the point where God tells us things we don't want to hear and we listen. And when God requires of us things that we don't quite want to obey, but we do obey. When we submit to the Lord's lordship and we surrender our claim to our own thrones. And unless we do that, then we are walking in the ways of Saul. Only willing to listen to, we're only willing to hear and listen when God is saying something we like. We're only willing to obey when God tells us something we already want to do. And of course, this hits home for a lot of us who have family members who are walking away from the Lord, who are turning aside, who aren't listening to the voice of the Lord. And it's sobering. But we're also given a lot of hope. And, um, and I'm very thankful that on a day when we talk about apostasy, we have the Lord's Supper. Um, let's look at our bulletin real quick. Turn back to our confession of sin and our receiving of God's assurance. The confession of sin is taken from a passage in Hebrews which is all about apostasy. All about people who part of the church and who are walking away in one form or another. And it gives us these dire warnings. In the, it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. It sounds like Saul. And have fallen away for them to be restored to repentance should make us all listen up, right? But for those of us who this makes us very afraid and we're tempted to turn inward, here's the thing. Our faith's not in our faith, right? As we heard today, faith is small as mustard seed. You can barely see it. If you're trying to look inside to make sure that you have faith and that you're faithful, you might not really be able to see it. But what Scripture says is, that our faith and our hope is found in turning outward and upward to the promises of God. This is where our hope lies when we're afraid that, is this me? Could this be me? And look at the assurance of pardon in Hebrews 6. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Are we walking in repentance, true repentance? Are we seeking, in however feeble ways, to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ? And are we looking to Christ in faith as our Messiah and our King to forgive us of our daily apostasies? If we are, then Scripture says, that we can feel assured of better things. 
because we are beloved of God. Um, and we're given even more than that. Turn to the back of your bulletin on page, oh, there are a lot of pages, uh, 24. It gives us the lyrics to the hymn that we're going to be singing uh, before and after communion, For All the Saints. And what this hymn is about is about the life of faithfulness, the life of perseverance, the life that wasn't like Saul's, the life where, yes, we sin, but we repent, and we submit, and we look in faith to Christ and his sacrifice. This is the life that leads to better things. This is the life that leads to heaven. And this hymn tells us that there are saints who are now resting from their labors because they have been faithful. And we are encouraged by those who've gone before that the Lord, just as he was faithful to them, is faithful to us. We're told in verse 2 that we don't do this alone, but God is our rock and our fortress and our might and our captain. And he's the one who's with us, helping us to be faithful every day giving us the strength to fight our daily battles against sin. We are not alone. And this hymn also, in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, gives us a vision of our hope to come. Keep our eyes on heaven. Saul's problem was that he never had his eyes forward. He always had his eyes inward. What do I want? What do I need? What am I afraid of? But we're encouraged to look forward and upward to our hope in heaven. This is what God is promising us. This is what spurs us on to obedience and faith. So as we sing this hymn, let us be encouraged that God is with us. Christ is walking with us. He's our king. He does hear our prayers. He will help us be faithful. But let us also be sobered that Christ needs to be our king and only our king. We cannot serve two masters. And this is kind of what the Lord's Supper is getting at a little bit, which is also why I'm glad that we have this. Saul gets served a very twisted, upside-down form of Passover. We get served the true Passover, the fulfillment of Passover, right here in Christ. And you know what the Lord's Supper does for us? It's not simply a reminder of what Christ has done. It's a means, a tangible, effectual, spiritual means that God uses to strengthen our faith and encourage us in our walk and bring us to the throne of grace. This is what this meal is for. It reminds us that we are all apostates in one sense or another, but Christ, if he is our king, he is our savior, he promises us forgiveness, and he promises us hope. Saul gets served an upside-down Passover meal, and the final word he gets is judgment. We get served the true Passover meal, and the final word we get is Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. So we're going to sing the first three verses of our communion hymn after I pray real quick.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for difficult words, uh, for words that sometimes we don't want to hear. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and a heart that longs to understand and longs to serve you. Father, we, we repent, confess that we often try to sit on the throne of our own hearts and we often try to be our own kings. And we pray and beg that Christ would be our king and that daily, daily you would convict us and that you would draw us to you, that you would hear our prayers, that you would forgive us, and that we would delight in the fact that we are not our kings. We are not our masters. And we thank you for this meal that you have given us to remind us of your grace, to encourage us toward faith and repentance. And we thank you for hope. Father, we also pray for those who we know who are walking away from the faith right now. We thank you that you do hear our prayers. You are a God who hears. And we pray that you would be faithful, even when we are faithless, that you would draw these people back to you, that, that your final word to them would not be judgment, but that your final word to them would be Jesus. There would be forgiveness and repentance. Bring them back. Oh, Lord, and do not let us grow weary of pursuing them and praying for them. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.